Good morning, everybody, and welcome to New Vine Community Church. We're very happy to have each and every one of you here with us today. And uh, we'll be watching online today as well. All right, well, I'd like to invite everybody to stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we will get started with worship. Lord, I want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything you've done in our lives throughout the week and everything we know you will continue to do. I just ask that you come be with us today to worship you. In the name we pray. Amen.
everybody take a second, turn around, say hello to somebody. My name's Allie, and we're glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. Hey everybody, Mark here real fast with a quick announcement. We'll be having our annual chili cook-off, which may be my favorite Sunday of the year. A um, couple of thoughts real quick. It's going to be right after the second service. $5 per person, which will include chili and salad. $2 for kids under 10, um, and it will include chili and salad. And this will have desserts, but they're part of the fundraiser, so you'll have to purchase those. One of the ways that we raise money in this fundraiser is every vote costs a dollar. And so you can go around, you can cast a vote by placing money in the different chilies that you like. Hopefully we'll see you guys to be trying out this really awesome chili. Here's Allison with some... This is chili. With chili. See you guys then. Bye. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. Baby, there's a baby over there. I had to check Veda out. So, how's everyone? Good? Um, chili things next week. It's good. Uh, Liz is going to make some uh, exotic chili, she said. Right? And I said this the first service and she didn't, she walked out for a second. She didn't hear me. In 50 years, I think she's made chili two or three times at least. So it'll be great. So I'm excited about that. So don't tell her I said that. Um, what else is happening? Uh, on the 10th of March, we're having a, like a, I don't know what, we're having an evening with Robin, Robin and Jan. Jan's late, plays lead guitar and, uh, they've had a band for years. So it'll be some old rock and roll, uh, some country. And, and the youth are going to have dinner. There'll be a barbecue dinner plus, uh, hot dogs and things like that. You can buy the, the admission to the concert or whatever it's going to be. And you can dance to in church. We're all going to hell. So but anyway, uh, I grew up Baptist, so we didn't do that. Um, but anyway, you can do that. And, uh, the, the admission is canned goods for the free store. Okay. Cause we got about 1600 families that we help all the time. Okay. So I want to remember in prayer, uh, Charles Thomas, he's in the hospital. I've, um, he's had heart trouble and stuff. And so, uh, I got a text on the way to church. He was at a, a wrestling, whatever thing this morning and, and fell his, his, his little, uh, whatever his heart thing is went off last time it went off. He was driving by Princeton high school and it went off and he's unconscious for whatever, but so he fell and maybe he broke his wrist and split his head, but he's good. So keep him in prayer. And then Adrian's grandfather, right? 
Is that right? We want to pray for him and the family. And, and my uncle passed away last night. Uh, he's the first one to die in the family for, I don't know, his kids are, he's 92 years old. So anyways, pray for my aunt and, and my cousins because they're, even though, you know, it happens, but they're in shock because it's never happened in their lifetime, you know, so just keep them in prayer. So um, let's say a prayer and uh, we'll take up the offering. So Lord, I lift all these things up to you in prayer and Lord, I pray for comfort. We pray for healing and I ask you just to bless the offering in Jesus name. Amen. All right, kids, I forgot what I was doing. I told Mark he was up, and he said, aren't you going to talk? Um, let me share with you. Liz and I got to go to Asbury College uh, this week. And uh, if you've seen on the news or whatever, there's been a revival going on for a couple weeks. And and uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. But I grew up in a ch- church that you have revivals where guys comes and yells and preaches at you. Anybody grew up in a church like that? And then you got to go down front and get saved, right? Which is good. I did that. Uh, but this isn't that kind of revival. I've been to Toronto, which was crazy revival, and all that. This is nothing like any of those things at all. Um, when I was uh, 18 years old, I was at Georgetown College, and, and the first Asbury revival happened. And some kids just started going into the, to the chapel, and they prayed. And then uh, God just started doing stuff, and then they would worship a little bit. And so they came to our campus and shared. And the same thing happened. Uh, we went into the auditorium. I like to play the guitar a little bit. And and uh, people would pray. Nobody would preach. And then all of a sudden, people just would come in. they walk across the stage. Like, for example, my roommate came in. He was walking across campus. And he says, I was walking across campus. And God touched me. And I've come in to ask Jesus in my heart. And he, and he, and he walked across the stage and said, I'm trusting Jesus. And everybody applauded. And he walked across. And that happened for days and days and days and days. And so... That's kind of what's happening at Asbury. 
Now they, some kids just started praying after chapel and then it kind of went 24 hours and now it's into two weeks. And, uh, and it's just kids, uh, uh, just worshiping God. They're just telling Jesus they love him. That's it. There's no, there's no hype. I don't know if you've ever been to a church or a youth thing or whatever like that where there's like lights and smoke and there's all this stuff to kind of pump you up or whatever. Just the, the effects, there's none of that at all. Just these kids are just playing the guitar and singing and the piano. There's a, a picture, I think, of, of, uh, that's just the stage. Those kids are not the choir. They're just teenagers. I could, I, I, I tell everybody I've been 18 for 53 years, which Liz says it's denial, but I couldn't get in early. Uh, if you're between 18 and 25, they just let you in. If you're like older, you have to wait in line. So Liz and I waited for three hours and a half in the cold and we weren't ready for the cold. We froze, uh, but we got in, and my friend Earl was, is a counselor there, and so he came out to, to greet us. And uh, Liz, I don't have the picture, but she looks like Mary Magdalene or Mary Virgin Mary, because I only had a blanket in the car, and she put it over her head. And uh, anyway, so the kids are just, they're just singing songs. There's, they don't even have screens or nothing. They're just singing and worshiping God, and then people will give their testimony about, and, and they had rules. You can only be brief, and it had to be what was going on, and so... That's, that's what's kind of just going on. People just would come in and you had, you could only get in as people went out. So if nobody left, you just stood out in the cold. And so as we were leaving, our line was almost a mile long. And so it was still that long when, when we left. Uh, and then, let's see, is there another picture? There, yeah, here's, this is sort of just a sample. The video part, Pat. There you go. So that's just been going on for two or three weeks. So I just pray for them. And, and, and a lot of times people are critical of things like that. There's been people critical already. Can you imagine Christians being critical of teenagers getting excited about Jesus, you know, and saying, well, they're not doing this right or this ain't going to last or whatever. Let me just tell you, in my life it lasted. And my friends, like I, the group that I was in, Eric became a missionary in France. Earl planted churches in Hawaii. Uh, another guy went to Africa, Greg. Uh, as a pastor in Florida, and we were like all over the world because of what Jesus did in our life. So you never know. But it's cool just to see 18-year-old kids getting in, fall in love with God and trying to live it out every day. So I, to me, I just say, God bless them, you know, and uh, so we just pray for more of that. So where did Mark go? He's hiding now. There you are. You, you, he was camouflaged. Am I done? So he's hiding, hiding in the corner. So you're up. Dad and mom went to a revival this week. I got caught down a YouTube rabbit hole. You guys ever do that? Michael Bolton. Don't sleep on Michael Bolton. That cat can sing. I spent like an hour and a half watching Michael Bolton videos the other night. I s- yeah. Unreal. And his best one might be from Saturday Night Live, so... You guys good? I'm sort of, I'm halfway joking, but I'm also being serious. So, um, yeah. Uh, we've been in a series on, called One Anothering. And, uh, we're gonna finish it today. And then next week we'll begin the journey to Easter with the Lenten season. And so, uh, yeah. You guys ready to go? Let's pray and, um,
and we'll get going. So let's just take a few minutes and just to be, let's just be still and be quiet and just kind of clear our hearts and our minds of all the things that we carry into this room and uh, just be just present before the Lord. And so let's take a few moments to do that. you for this morning. We thank you for what's going on in Asbury and different campuses around the world, or around the country, excuse me. Uh, We thank you for our lives and the mess that they are, and yet the grace that's around us. So we ask that you just be with us here in this moment. We ask that you just open our hearts to this passage and to what you're doing. We ask that you just bless our time, and in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Romans chapter 12, Paul. I'm going to do two things. We're going to look at two passages, try to figure out how they work together, and then explore how they relate to our lives. And so Romans chapter 12, Paul says this. He says, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. And so Paul's using this metaphor as the body of Christ, that we are individuals and yet we are members of one body. In the same way that your arm is its own thing, and yet it's connected to you. And, and if you're like me, if you, you have a problem with a part of your body, it affects everything else, right? Does this make sense? It's like I got a shoulder injury that I, and it affects the rest of my body all the time. And so what Paul is, is getting at in this passage is, it, conveying to these people is that to be a part of a church and to be a part of the body of Christ is to be a part of a family, to be one unit. And yet there are times where we can do things individually that then affect the, all of us. Does this make sense so far? In James chapter 5, James, the brother of Jesus, says this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be, what's it say? Healed. That the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so here's the big idea. You and I are intended to be one in Christ. That's the the main objective of, of being part of a church is that you and I, we're, we're not just individuals doing our own thing, but we're all part, we're all called to be part of this one body, to be this unit, if you will, right? So, we all experience this as, as families, and so I have my family, and my, my lovely wife who's back there, and my daughter who just bounced out of the room, cause who really wants to listen to their dad talk for an hour, right? And then I son, and we're a, a family unit. And we're one. And we love one another. Right? Does this make sense? But sometimes we do things that disrupt this family unit. This shalom. This peace. 
that we are all intended to live in. Because that's, that's the thing. We all want to do our own thing, right? So, you guys have cell phones? You guys have cell phone chargers? I buy them. We buy them at our house. I don't know what happens to them. Why? Because we're all sinful as well. We all, we all, and this is the way that I define sin. Sin is, is the in, the inclination to do selfish things. So instead of doing what is right for all of us, there are moments where we make individual choices to do our own thing, which disrupts the peace of our family. And so I don't know, how many did you buy this week? Two? So Amber bought two, two more to the collection, and I don't know where they are. I don't, I don't even charge my phone at home. I charge my phone most of the time at the gym. Like I just, I, cause I know that there's gonna, my charger there is gonna be there, right? Here's the thing and here's what happens in our lives. Sin always leads to selfish actions. Does this make sense? And what can happen is that selfish actions will always lead to severed relationships. And so there's the peace of our home. There's the love that we all share with one another until somebody needs a cell phone charger. And then we all turn on each other. Vicious, vile, severing our relationships. Now, this is a joke, of course. Who was that? Is that Amber? She takes it more seriously than I do, apparently. But isn't this how our our lives work? There is the peace, the shalom, the oneness, the one body that we're all called to be a part of. And then somebody chooses to do their own thing. And we all have this inclination. The Bible calls it sin. We all have this inclination to choose to do what we want to do instead of what's good for the group. And so we do something bad. We, we make a selfish act. And what can happen is that given enough time and repeated, what we'll do is we end up severing ourselves from the body. We separate ourselves from from the body of Christ and from the people that we love. And severed relationships always lead to separation and isolation. And here's the thing. We all, every single one of us in this room, we all live in this state to some degree of separation and isolation. Now, you may have came in this morning and someone said, how you doing? You probably said, I'm doing good, right? But I imagine if you're like me, there's parts of your life that aren't doing good, right? Like, we keep our front room clean at the house. We keep our front room clean, so if anybody pops in, you know, they might think that we're normal. We ain't going to let them go upstairs, we don't want them up there, right? And so someone asks you, how are you doing? Oh, 
I'm doing good. You're in the front room. You're, I'm, we're fine. But we don't want you going upstairs. Right? Does this make sense? We all struggle with things that we've done that are selfish, that have severed relationships or severed things in our lives, and separate us and isolate us from others. Now, here's what's weird about this. What's weird about it is, is that you can do this on your own. This is something that you can do. You can do the selfish act that severs the relationship. But this is also something that can be done to you. You might be innocent in the exchange. And yet somebody else chooses to do something selfish and severs that relationship that you have with them. And even though you are completely innocent in the exchange, you still experience the pain of the sin of separation and isolation. Why? Probably because you love that person. And you can't believe they've made this choice. And you would never wish it on anyone, and yet here you are experiencing this pain, this sadness, this separation, this isolation, because of the brokenness that we all struggle with. Does this make sense? And so it raises this question. If God intends for us to be united with one another in Christ, how do we then reattach to the body if we have been severed apart? How do we mend relationships with one another? How do we continue to be a part of the body of Christ when we've been severed apart? That's the question. Now, what's interesting about this is that the metaphor that Paul uses and the language that we have, that we use as, as a society, he, he talks about being part of this body. The word for religion it has an interesting origin. It, it means to, to re-ligament, essentially. It, it's it, it's a, a word picture that we've been torn from a body and that we're being reconnected, re-being re, mended, essentially, re-ligamented back. And I, that's not, neither here nor there. I just thought it was terribly interesting. This, this uh, use of language. And so, if God intends for us to be united with one another in Christ, how do we re- reattach to the body if we have been severed apart? Which leads us then back to James 5. That's a big sigh back there. It was my daughter's sigh. I could hear it. Says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that we, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so number one, when we find ourselves isolated and separated, severed from the body, healing begins with confession. We have to learn how to confess our sins to one another. Now, maybe you grew up in a tradition where that that means that you get in a box and it's dark and there's somebody on the other side of the whatever. I've only seen these things in movies. I don't really have a clue. And you tell this person what you've done and they tell you this, what you need to do so that you can be forgiven of your sins. Maybe that works. I don't know. For me, 
Confession begins with being in a relationship where you can be open and honest with the people in your lives. Confession begins with being able to trust somebody to the point where I can completely be who I am with them. And I don't know if you have that person in your life or not, but I would, um, I would challenge you to find that person. Find that person that you can trust to that extent where you can confess what you've done. Because here's the thing, and, this, and the great philosopher Jay-Z says it like this. You can't heal what you don't reveal. Yeah? The other day we're cleaning up our front room, and I noticed that Annabelle is sweeping the stuff in the floor under the couch. You ever do this with your life? Right? We, instead of dealing with the things that we have going on in our lives, what do we do? We sweep it under the couch. It's not in sight, but it's still there. Yeah? So what do you have to do? Well, you gotta pull back the couch. And you gotta sweep all that stuff that's underneath there and you gotta get rid of it. And that's what confession is. Confession is pulling back, pulling back the, the, the rug, all, getting all the stuff out. And it can be a scary, uh, experience. And yet it's a, it can be a healing experience. It's actually the first step to finding peace in life is being able to have certain people that you can be completely open and honest with. Good? Which leads to the next thought. We begin by confessing our sins to one another. And, and I would say more than just sins. Like, probably when I say sin, you probably think of a list, right? Or I, I think about all the bad things. And I... And I it goes beyond that. It's just being, this is who I am. This is the things that I love. These are the things that I struggle with. All of those things. That's the kind of relationship that we're trying to find. And so we confess to one another. And then he says this, pray for one another so that you may be healed. A couple weeks ago, we'd had, I'd had a week of uh, there was a couple of things going on in my life personally, that, and then there was a member of our church that their, their baby was born still, and uh, it had been a rough week, right? And, and so I'm up here preaching and whatever, and one of the guys that comes to 9 o'clock church, Richard Butterfield, I don't know if you guys met him or not, he's a brilliant guy, he he meets me right here, right after the sermon. He says, what's, what's going on? He goes, I, I get this sense that you're, something's heavy going on in your life. And, uh, and, it, and that's weird for me because as a pastor, you want to pretend like you have it all together, right? Because if, if I don't have it all together, if dad doesn't have it all together, then we're in a mess, right? Here's the thing, we don't have it all together, by the way. And so he comes up and I share with him what's going on and he tells me that he'll pray for me. But he, he went a little further than that. He, that later that week I received a card in the mail from him 
And I opened it up and I read it. And there was this interesting thing that happened. It was almost as if the weight that I was carrying around, it felt like it lifted off my shoulders. And I don't know, maybe you don't. Like for me, I I physically carry my emotions, if that makes sense. I don't know if everybody does that, but that's how I experience it. And I carry stress in my shoulders. And it felt as if he was just, it was being lifted. Yeah? Perhaps you could say like this. When we allow someone to pray for us, we are saying, I'm not going to carry this alone any longer. Yeah? And, and so that's what it means to be part of a church. That's what it means to be part of a family. That's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Is that you and I, we're not, we're not created to carry the stress of our lives around by ourselves. I mean, you guys' life stressful? Mine is. Sometimes. And so you have the stress of your own individual life, but then we can multiply it by who knows how much because we have social media and we have the news. And so not only do we carry around the stress of our own lives, but then we also choose to carry the stress of the world in our lives because we open ourselves up to all of that. Does this make sense? You and I were not created to carry that much pain. We're not created to carry that much suffering and stress. And so to be part of a church then is to be part of a body, a group of people who help us carry the weight. Because I don't know about you, but I have times in my life where I can't carry this stuff. Yeah? And and so Paul says if we've been separated, we've been severed from the body, the way that we reconnect is by confessing and praying for one another, and in that process, we find healing and reconnection to the group. Good? Now, this raises a question. What do we do when we know a person who has severed themselves and they refuse to admit it? Yeah? What do you do about that? What do you do with the person that you see the whole thing just blowing up in front of your face? And there's nothing, like you see bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. And you see the selfishness and the brokenness that's on display. And you want to fix it, but there seems to be nothing that you can do. What do you do about that? There's this interesting story that Jesus tells about two sons. The story goes that a father had two sons, and the youngest son, even though he had everything that he ever needed at his father's home, chooses to go and do his own thing. He chooses to leave. And he goes to his father, and he says, Hey, I want my share of the inheritance, and I want to go and do my own thing. And in the, in the culture, this was completely insulting, and yet the father allows for the son to go and do his own thing. And so, the boy goes. He goes to Vegas. He loses all his money. It was fun for a while. 
and then it all falls apart. Instead of the father trying to manipulate the situation or fix the situation or control it, he just lets the boy go. He lets the boy go. Now, I have a question. What do we do when people, we see them ruining their lives or they walk away from their faith or they like, I don't know if I believe in this kind of stuff anymore. What do we do with those types of people. How many of us in this room grew up religious? And then kind of maybe walked away from it for a while. Yeah, you did. What happened? I imagine what happened for you. Is that whatever you grew up in, there came a point in time where it stopped working. It just stopped working for you. And so you, what did you have to do? You had to go on the journey. You had to go on the quest. You had to go see what life was about out there. And at some point, at some point, you realized what you were missing. But I also would imagine that your religious religious experience now is not the same as it was then. That you found something new. And that even though this in-between time was probably very hard, you wouldn't change it for a second because... All of it was essential for you to get to where you are now. Yeah? And so, what do we do when we're the parent? What do we do when we're the loved one who you see this person making all these wrong choices? What do we do? Well, we just have to trust that God loves this individual even more than I do. And we have to allow for this person to do the things that are necessary so that hopefully, with God's grace, they land in a place that is better than where they are now. Does this make sense? And so it's about trust. It's interesting, this kind of a side note, especially for those of us in the room that are parents who have kids who explore, they're maybe rejecting faith or whatever. There's this interesting story in the book of Genesis where Abraham had been um, making his way through the desert and he had, he had dug these wells. And these wells had supplied water for his family for a long time. And then he obviously, he dies. And Isaac, his son, is in the same way, kind of making his way through the desert. And he, for a long time, he was dependent on his father's wells. But eventually those wells... They dried up. So what did he have to do? He had to dig his own well. Now there's a spiritual implication for this. Your children can only drink from your well for so long. And if you continue to allow them to drink from your wells, they're never going to get to a place where they can dig their own. This makes sense? So at some point in life, the ones that we love, they have to go on their own path and find the place where they can dig their own well because they can't live off of yours forever. And so what do we do? We wait. We hope. We pray. Luke says it like this, or Jesus says it like this. He says, 
it, within the, the story of the prodigal son, the son makes his return. And it says that by, what, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Dad always makes this observation to how did the father know that today was going to be the day that the boy was going to return? He always, Dad always says the reason that he knew is because every day he was out in the drive, keeping his eyes on the horizon, hoping and praying that today is the day that my son will return. But we don't have a clue how long that in between was. All we are shown is the faithfulness of the father every day, praying and hoping that maybe today is the day that my son will return. And maybe sometimes that's all we can hold on to. Maybe sometimes that's all. Maybe today's the day. I'm going to hope and I'm going to pray. And maybe, okay, that's fine. Tomorrow, maybe today is the day. I'm going to hope and pray that today is the day that my son will return. Does this make sense? And so we have to come to a place where we simply trust that God has this person. Yeah? Good? All right, sorry about that side, side sermon there. And so we confess our sins to one another. We pray for one another. And then J- James ends this passage by saying this, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, what does he mean by this? What I believe he means is this, that at some point in our relationship with God and other people, is that we're going to be the ones who confess, but we're also going to be the ones who receive the confession and pray for other people. And so when we're in that position to pray for other people, what does it mean and what does it look like and how can we be effective? He said the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now the word for righteous, I would simply say this, the way that one would define, or at least the way I define righteousness is that to be righteous is to be in right relationship with God and to be in right relationship with other people. And here's here's the thing. You can't be in right relationship with God if you're not in right relationship with other people. And so if we want our prayers to be powerful and effective and healing for other people, there's a particular posture that a righteous person carries around. I've noticed over the years that those who've prayed for me that are the most effective They're never surprised by the things that I share. They always are just so gentle and so kind and so loving. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. And then they pray. And there's something about that. And and, and so I would say this, if we're going to be these types of people within this body, then we have to learn how to pray from a place of love, understanding, gentleness, mercy, and hope. I was having a conversation with with a person after the the first service, and she said, that's so interesting. She said, every time, a lot of times when I've had people pray for me, they make me feel worse about what has happened. It's like they lord it over me. Because this is such a, a a breath of fresh air, and I said, "Well, I hope hopefully it wasn't here, but you know, 
We need to be the types of people that aren't judgmental, that can open our hearts to whatever happens, that are loving, understanding, gentle, merciful, and hopeful. And that we can be the type of community where people feel free to confess, to be open and honest, and who can find healing in this place. Good? And if we can be those types of people, we can bring people back to the body. Good. You guys done? I'm done. I got to pick up pizzas in 15 minutes for a youth group. So we've got to get, get moving. So two questions. What's God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? What is it like for you to, to find a relationship in this community where you can be open and honest? What does it look like for you to be the type of person that can pray for others? How do we learn to hold on to hope for those who break our hearts? What's God saying to you? What's one thing that you can do about it this week? And so let's take a few moments simply to reflect on that, and then we're going to share communion together. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you come speak to our hearts in these next few moments. All right, amen. If you have one of these, grab it, take it out. Every week we take part in this, this meal to be reminded that we are part of one body. Every week we pray this prayer to center our hearts and our minds. And so pray this with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thy kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, which means we remember what Jesus did and we're reminded that we are called to do the same, to be broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And so take this bread and look at the person next to you and say, the body of Christ has been broken for you. Now the cup, the blood of Christ that was shed for you. All right. Amen. No football on today? The dark ages of sports. The dark, what is it? XFL. All right. All right. We can do that. And someone said NASCAR over here. Who said NASCAR? Guys of NASCAR cracked me up. It's like, turn to the left. All right, so I'll stand. I think NASCAR would be fun. It would be awesome to do. But watching it on TV, I don't know. Chili cook-off next week. Is it next week? Yeah. So you're all going down. I'm going to continue my reign of terror. But uh, grab hands with the person next to you, and we will pray and go home. So, Father, we just thank you um, for this day. We thank you for the blessing that we can just be here and and open our hearts to you. We, we bless what's going on in Asbury. Father, we ask for just more. We ask that you just continue to just move around us in our lives. We ask that you just be with us this week. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you guide us and keep us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. See you guys.